Welcome to the Path 5 Podcast. The Path 5 team is a dedicated group of professionals hailing from diverse backgrounds, all anchored in making the world a safer place. Thanks for joining us while we dive into today's topic. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to episode 10 of the Path 5 Podcast. Can't believe we're already on episode 10, folks. It's been a bit of a journey. In case you haven't noticed, we've been stepping up our game a little bit, improving our mic quality, using a little bit of a different uh, platform to record our beautiful voices. Um, We had to slightly deviate from that a little bit later on. Uh, Boomer being Boomer doesn't possess a uh, functioning computer in which he can... uh, join us on this platform so he was stuck on mobile um so we actually had to record using our own method for his piece but that's okay guys you gotta improvise adapt overcome sometimes drink your own piss bear girls taught me all these things so today we're getting into some some real interesting stuff um in case you guys haven't noticed everything we do is for you And we mean that, honestly. You know, a lot of people say that and they go and self-promote. But looking at the rising sales of firearms all across America, and it's not slowing down, and we totally understand why. Um, We are in some stormy waters here, folks. Some real interesting uh, players are in the mix, and uh, it's going to be a wild ride through the rest of the year. So that being said, there's a lot of guns being purchased by a lot of folks who are first-time gun buyers. And they might not even be first-time gun buyers. They might have a 22 or something, a little squirrel gun their granddaddy gave them, and now they want to step up to an AR platform. And naturally, guys, what are you going to do? You're going to buy the thing that looks the coolest, right? You're going to be like, yeah, brother, give me that 556. I need it because it's got a short barrel and Grantham uses it. <laughs> right? Which isn't a bad reason. No, he it's knows not what a he's bad talking reason, about. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you may be purchasing something that you don't fully understand. And what it comes down to, simply put, is the title of this episode, guys. It's Basic Ballistics. So there's a lot of things that go into what makes a firearm effective. And there is not a single weapon that will do it all for you. A lot of firearm companies are trying to get close. The SIG MCX is incredibly modular. With the change of a couple Allen keys, some people will argue that you can't do it all. But realistically, and within budget, it's pretty difficult to pin that one rifle down that's really going to take home the bacon in every situation. So what we're doing for you guys today so we're breaking down some different basic ballistic principles so you can easily follow along and hopefully identify some of the strengths and weaknesses within your own platforms or within a platform you're looking to buy. So right now, I'm going to turn it over to the one and only Boomer who's going to give you our resident engineer's expertise and impressive knowledge of physics, how it pertains to ballistics. 
Yeah, when it comes to ballistics, I mean, there's just so many things that get factored into the mix. It's it's hard to know where to start, really. Um, a lot of times, most people first gravitate to the actual cartridge itself. Um, but I generally like to give the barrel, you know, its, its day in court. Um, obviously, it's easy to point out that different calibers will have different properties, but it's sometimes not so obvious to realize what effect the actual platform it's being fired from will have. Um, especially the barrel. Oftentimes, we break the ice with these overarching tenets of what defines the way a projectile will behave as it travels down and exits the barrel. Um, for starters, we have to look at barrel length, uh, twist, and I guess general overall construction. Um, with barrel length, we can generally assume that the more time the bullet is stabilized during its flight. So in other words, the longer it's physically in the barrel, uh, the more time it has to be stabilized by the rifling and um, the more time it also has for the expanding gases to work on it. And therefore, longer barrels generally, and I say generally because this is just an overarching physics concept, so to speak, will provide for faster and more accurate projectiles. Right, definitely. So if longer is better, why not make barrels as long as possible and send projectiles out of them at light speed with pinpoint accuracy? Yeah, so longer is always better. Uh, but anyways, no, I'm just, I digress. Hey, hey, hey. So the, the truth is that there's a point of diminishing returns. Nowadays, rifle manufacturers are routinely engineering MOA or even sub-MOA rifles, which in layman's terms means it's a rifle that can shoot either a one-inch or sub-one-inch group at 100 meters respectively, um, you know, with, with normal barrel lengths. So we'll say nominally somewhere between 18 and 20 inches for the purpose of, of this exercise. Um, MOA and sub-MOA are kind of the gold standard for most people. I mean, yes, occasionally you'll get some bench rest rifles with barrels upwards of, of 26 inches, but those are few and far between and, and purpose built to shoot heck, I don't know, a thousand meters or further. Um, so yes, we can physically make barrels as long as they need to be. They can be engineered to be that way, but there's that tipping point in which you really don't gain anything more from them being longer other than them just being unwieldy and totally unmanageable. Um, to complicate things, a barrel that is infinitely long will eventually slow the projectile down and stop it because it too enacts its own force. Uh, the bullet and the barrel don't have a, a frictionless relationship, so to speak. Right. So what you're saying is uh, the longer the barrel, the more lubrication might be necessary to uh, make sure it hits its peak functionality. Is that correct? <laughs> that's, that's certainly an interesting take on it. Um, you know, and I'll continue with, you know, when, when the propellant, behind a projectile ignites, it doesn't have an infinite amount of energy, right? You know, there's there's some finite amount of energy stored in that casing that can act upon the projectile. Um, the, the key, if we want to optimize bullet velocity, um, is to get all of it to ignite in a time period that is shorter than the projectile's time of flight through the barrel. Um, so, this, among a couple of other things, is why we would generally expect, like, your standard will take a 9mm round, for example, to be traveling faster when it leaves 
a carbine um, or a short, you know, a short rifle than when it leaves a pistol. Um, you know, and then we can take a look at things like the physical barrel construction. So obviously enough when propellant ignites within a barrel, it generates energy in the form of heat. And that heat in part is translated via conduction uh, into the barrel. And so generally speaking, as metal heats, it undergoes the process of thermal expansion. Um, now, in most cases, we really aren't talking anything that noticeable to like the unaided eye. Uh, it's not like the rifle barrel is going to elongate or swell by an inch as you dump 30 round mags through it. But it does expand ever so slightly enough to where uh, really a few things can occur. Um, you know, barrels may be machined to excruciating tolerances, but in the event that they aren't, you know, maybe you have a difference in straightness, uh, sorry, straightness tolerance, um, you know, of like one thousandths to three thousandths down the length of it. Um, you know, as that barrel expands, because the barrel's not perfectly straight, it may come to rest at a slightly different point on the rifle. Um, now, I mean, this is, it's, it's minuscule what we're talking, but, you know, think about what a very slight change in point of aim does to point of impact at, you know, 500 meters at a half a degree variance could lend itself to putting you several feet off the target in one direction. Um, and so this is where, you know, rifle manufacturers get creative with their barrel design. Um, you know, for instance, they make them free floating. Um, so they'll never come into contact with any other points on the rifle besides where it's mounted to the receiver. Uh, they take into account that thermal expansion um, in the, the gaps that they place between the, the barrel and, and the forend. Um, you know, they, make, they might make them thicker, um, you know, a.k.a. often referred to as bowl barrels uh, to provide better, more uniform and less dramatic heat transfer across the cross-sectional area of the barrel. Um, and then kind of as an aside, the extra material, like if we're talking about a bowl barrel, um, also dampens vibrations within the barrel, um, which, which is also an undesirable uh, condition. Um, you know, they make them... Oh, I mean, barrels can be contoured, they can be fluted, they can be ribbed, um, all in an effort to control thermal expansion, provide, uh, you know, stiffness and rigidity, and to get that projectile trued up on its point of aim. So it's ribbed for the extractor's pleasure? Uh, just speaking my bourbon exactly. and coke. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's 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 funny. I haven't heard that one before. Um, so, you know, lastly, I'll talk about twists really quickly because this is also something that comes into any discussion when we talk about ballistics, right? Um, and when I say twists, I mean the number of complete revolutions the rifling makes per unit of length of that barrel, okay? And so... Um, this is extremely important because the rifling and corresponding twist is what defines, for the most part, the accuracy of the rifle. Um, I mean, twist is like, in the addition of rifling and getting rifling right, is like the single um, 
largest factor like to what made military rifles of old um uh, so deadly when they took something that was smooth bore like a musket and then they incorporated rifling into it and once they started dialing in the twist to get that bullet to stabilize i mean that's what makes your weapon platform like infinitely more deadly so um you know but unfortunately it's it's not a one size fits all when it comes to twists there's no you know universal um hey we want to make the bullet spin this many times before it leaves the barrel that suits every caliber um and this is kind of where you know over the years quite frankly through a lot of trial and error and, and benchtop studies um engineers have done a lot of validation work to determine what twist is best for a certain projectile uh, it's it's all about the fluid mechanics of the round as it passes through the air um and you know technically uh you know the the air the medium that the bullet is passing through it's it is a it's a fluid so all the principles of you know fluid dynamics apply to it um some rounds require less rotational velocity to travel true, uh, aka day or you know less twist. Um, in other rounds, require higher rotational velocity to stay true uh, in on their flight path. Yeah, one thing I want to say about that, I actually ran into a huge issue with this when I was younger. I bought my first rifle. It was a Remington 700, and it was chambered in um, 556. So not touching on the point that I actually bought a bolt action chambered in 5.5, I had been running 55 grain through it over and over and over again, absolutely loving it. And my buddy bought me some 62 grains. He's like, nice, heavier bullets, you know, they'll at least impact the target with something more useful than a 5.5. And I could not hit the broadside of a barn. And... I'm convinced it was the twist rate. I never really looked into it. That rifle's been sitting in a closet for years now. But, yeah, learning more into this, uh, especially when it comes to twist rates on AR platforms, which I am familiar with, um, what you just said, it is different for every projectile. And it's it's just a, a bit of a deep dive. Yeah, good point. Damn, Boomer. You were like Bill Nye the science guy of the gun world, man. That was fantastic. What a breakdown. The only thing you're missing is like a lava volcano, some baking soda. That was scientific as hell. Thank you. I, I mean it. That was a great rundown, man. Yeah, you know, it's it's not just what Boomer said, though. It's not just the gun and the bullet that's going to affect you hitting your target. But the world around you, it also plays a part. Things like difference in elevation to your target, the temperature, and even the density of the air can play a role in how your world around you influences shot placement. So, like, first things first, temperature, look, it is it is a factor. Um, once you start reaching out past four or 500 yards-ish, it can be an issue. And from what I've heard about sniper school, one thing that gets drilled into you is that a temperature drop of 20 degrees can change your bullet drop by almost an inch at 500 yards or something to that effect. I don't know. I didn't go, but it's not really a major issue for most people. I'll get into it in a little bit, but temperature it's there and it matters. But if you're shooting within four or 500 yards, don't worry about it too much. But altitude or barometric pressure, right? That can change a lot. 
So in regards to shooting, barometric pressure and altitude kind of go hand in hand because being higher up in relation to sea level is not actually what changes the trajectory of the bullet. It's the fact that the air is not as dense. So oddly enough, the fewer amount of air molecules occupying the same amount of space, the less drag that there is going to be on the round that's being fired downrange. So that's why I say that they go kind of hand in hand because higher elevation, higher altitude, you have less dense air. Lower elevation, you have more dense air and it can be even denser based on barometric pressure. So when the air is not as dense, you're going to see lower flight times, faster impact speeds, and a little bit higher shot placement because it's not going to drop as fast as you're used to it dropping. And when it comes to temperature in barometric pressure and, and all of that combined, all I can say is go out and shoot. If you really want to, if you really want to start hitting quarters at yards and yards away, Go out and shoot. I know it's tough with ammo prices right now, especially if it's a marksman-style rifle that's shooting some yeah. bougie, you know, like three thirty-eight Lapua. God forbid you're trying to shoot that. <laughs> Actually, no, no, no. I take that back. You might be able to find three thirty-eight Lapua on the shelves that's these days. That's true. That's true. Um, but if you want to know how your AR is going to handle a 500-yard shot in negative 25-degree weather at 6,000 feet above sea level, with the same zero that you gave it six months ago when it was 92 and humid in Bad News, Virginia, bro, go for it. You're going <laughs> to learn real quick. Man, that was a hot day, dude. I broke out them silkies. I had no shame. The combat Rough. pants came off. It was just ranger panties for days. That's, that's That even felt like <laughs> too much, my guy. It was wet outside. Yeah, yeah we almost got naked on that range. <laughs> Uh, last thing I want to bring into this is elevation to target, right? So elevation to target, what I'm speaking about is when you're shooting at a certain elevation and your target is either above or below where you're shooting from, it, it's actually kind of fun because you get to do some math. Um, so in order to calculate a long distance shot at an angle, you have to calculate what's called the true ballistic range or TBR. So you got to break out your charts, boys. You measure the angle of that shot, find the corresponding cosine on your card, multiply that with the distance, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, you have your whole distance. So for some quick maths, quick maths. Quick maths. Men's not hot. Men can never be hot. 40 degrees. Quick maths. A thousand-yard shot at a 20-degree elevation would be a cosine of 0.94. So now you take your 1,000-yard shot, multiply that by 0.94. That gives you a 940-yard hold. So, huh. it's yeah, it's it's pretty – in terms of ballistic calculations, this one's pretty cut and dry, right? Um, but if you don't want to break out range cards and have that, you know, that nice wax pencil that you're constantly breaking and trying to unwrap – then you just go ahead and buy yourself like a seven eight hundred dollar range finder, and it'll do all the math for you. Yeah, you you stand where you're standing, you laze the target. It'll show you the distance, and it'll also do all this. It'll show you the actual distance and your hold distance, meaning the distance that you kind of 
sight rifle in for. Right. So it's pretty interesting what we have nowadays in terms of technology. And I, I didn't know if I wanted to bring it up in this talk, but I think it was Barrett made, I'm going to mess up the acronym. I don't know if it was their MERS site or they, some, some other site that they made that does all of it. And it's built into the optic. Oof. And it also does temperature and to an extent, I believe it will also do wind speed deviation. So yeah. you literally just put it on your target and it will show you where to where to pull the trigger at. Like it's insane. And I, I know there was some CNN article years ago talking about, you know, this rifle that will find its own target and then pull the trigger when it's on target. And, how this is, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, you know. Heat-seeking bullets. Yeah, the use case for for Ghost. all this hyper technology isn't really, you know, an end of world's use case or you know, some other boogaloo type use case because that's not it's not ruggedized enough to be used last minute. Yeah, with low batteries in the right. worst place possible. It's more for very much bougie hunting, but. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, everything I just spit out, it's me glossing over the subject. Personally, I would love for the chance to sit down and talk with a long distance guy over how much this will affect day to day shooting. Yeah. And if that's something that you guys would like to hear, I'll make the time to to get that talk going with an expert on the matter. I think I got a guy lined up for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what you guys, but I've never taken out a mortgage on a scope before, but it sounds like that Barrett <laughs> might be the first Yo, one. It is spicy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right now, we are actually going to bring it back down to earth a little bit from the Pythagorean theorem and uh, talking about $60,000 rifle scopes. And we're going to, we're going to talk about some comparisons, guys. We're going to, Break it down to a level in which you can realistically relate to it. And you can be like, oh, yeah, I see how this pertains to my life. And we're going to kick it off with two of the most famous firearms in America. We got the M16A2 versus the M4. Broniel, take it away. All right, so the M16A2, it's the formal, former battle rifle of the U.S. military. From what I've heard, some poor saps still go down with this. They still deploy with these muskets. They're originally introduced in, what, 1983? So at that point, they're older than most of the entire team that's deploying with them. And I know our team that far. It's disgusting. But... Yeah, it's gross. Anywho, they they got a 20-inch barrel. So it's pretty hefty piece. And that's why they're typically more an accurate shot for shot with their little cousin, the M4. That's only got a 14 and a half inch barrel. Now, talking twist rate, they're both rocking a seven to one twist. Nice. So basically looking at that difference in barrel length, how does that actually affect velocity? Well, as it kind of touched on a little bit earlier, due to the longer barrel on the M16A2, that army issued 556 ammo. It's M19355 grain. It exits the barrel at 3100 FPS. Now that's going to be 130 FPS faster than that short M4. Yeah, it's screaming. 
Oh yeah, ripping out of that barrel. Fundamentally, this equates to greater accuracy and well, the M4 and the M16A2, they have similar point target effective ranges of 550 and 500 meters. The older M16 really puts that additional velocity to use and stretches its legs all the way out to 800 meters for an area target, while that M4 drops off right around 600. Yeah, that's a pretty big difference on paper. 200 meters at that rate, that's that's quite the percentage. Oh, yeah, it's it's a huge difference when you're talking in those terms, but that M4 is going to be a lot less unwieldy. Your the shooter is going to be able to keep their mobility much higher when conducting CQB stuff, vehicle operations, when you're trying to compare it to that long boy. As most of us in this team have seen firsthand, the average soldier has to work to hit a 300-meter qual target. So in reality, that extra 200-meter gap between the rifles for area effectiveness is pretty negligible. Where that extra velocity is pretty nice and would be helpful for engaging targets behind light cover at range, because the 5.56 round from an M16 is a lot more apt to penetrate with that higher velocity. After an all in combat how many times do you actually get to engage a target in an open field yeah like Not never often. no it's, just, <laughs> it's like no there's trees there's hedgerows there's rocks vehicles buildings i mean it's it's not like a a troops in the open you know band of brothers uh netherlands <laughs> scenario exactly now for me i actually had a 20 inch barrel on my old AR that I sold. But if I was to one run again on a modern AR platform, it would have a massive LPVO on that thing and a bipod. It's not a time for iron iron sights in a sandbag. Reason 137 why the U.S. military is really lacking in proper equipment and training to employ it. Dude, that's a fact, man. And, And I cannot stress enough how important in practical modern warfare... How much a shorter barrel matters. If you're working in and around vehicles, in which case you're passing through checkpoints that may or may not be friendly, you're exiting vehicle, you're you're pushing uh, VIP security details, you're doing all kinds of different stuff, or you're a counter-assault team, you need to be able to exit that vehicle quickly. That long barrel will definitely trip you up. And by the way, if you're not in an up-armored vehicle and you got to pop some rounds through the windshield, that long barrel is going to make it really difficult to do so in a vehicle, uh, especially looking at most civilian vehicles. Unless you got a Suburban or uh, you know a Forerunner with the seat back, you probably don't have enough space to actually maneuver a, uh, <laughs> a 20-inch barrel AR in and around that vehicle. So a, That's a long barrel to be swinging around. Dude, it, it really is, man. It really is. It's just such a shame that soldiers are still deploying with that piece of crap. You know, it just blows my mind. And it blows my mind because you've got some just phenomenal platforms out there in shorter barrel configurations. And in my opinion, there are no two better platforms to contrast then the 11.5 inch SIG MCX Virtus, which I own personally, versus the 10.3 inch Daniel Defense Mark 18 
which is owned by Irish. So it's kind of funny. Um, we're both big fans of our individual weapons, but we both appreciate each other's because they're phenomenal guns, no matter how you cut it. And because of that, they are two of the current front runners in pistol length ARs. Both are tried and true combat weapons. Uh, Daniel's been operating in SOCOM and some federal agencies uh, a few years longer than the newer, more advanced MCX Virtus, but they have both seen combat uh, in the hands of special operations units. The Mark 18 and the MCX both utilize cold hammer forged barrels, which gets into what Boomer was talking about earlier. So the barrel construction is very good. Those barrels are actually forged in a way that is going to negate the impacts of heat. Anybody who shot more than, I'd say, 35 rounds, especially indoors with really limited airflow, you know how hot that barrel gets. It's pretty nutty. So in a sustained firefight, that thing is going to get hot. Bring your left-hand glove if you're ready. So while they both utilize the same forging method for their barrels, they do have a 1.2-inch difference separating the two of them. However, the big distinguishing factor between these two weapon systems is that the Mark 18 is a classic direct impingement AR, or DI. Utilizing the standard buffer tube to cycle, and that method goes all the way back to the first uh, AR platform that was developed by a stoner in the 60s. Pretty crazy that that technology is still around. Obviously, it's been refined, but it is highly effective. Yeah, it's still working. Hell yeah. The MCX, however, is a short-stroke gas piston rig. So basically, it doesn't have a buffer tube at all. The entire action of this weapon is contained above the bolt carrier group. It's pretty sweet because it allows it to fire in a really compact configuration. You don't have that knob sticking out the back which houses that buffer tube. So in terms of muzzle velocity though, utilizing the same 55 grain load mentioned in the M4, M16 comparison, we're looking at a basic delta of about 96 feet per second between the two, which only gives the MCX a 3.6% advantage over the Mark 18. Mark 18 clocking in just over 2,500 feet per second versus the MCX clocking in just over 2,600 feet per second. Jeez. That is incredible. It's only a 3.6% difference. And I got to say, I got to say one thing. Sure. That MCX design looks a lot, a lot like the uh, AR-180, which is also, you know, a stoner design, if I remember correctly. The Armalite so. AR-18. And that was also a 60s design where... I'm pretty sure the recoil group was on, on the top, but the MCX is so much more refined than that original design. It is incredible what SIG has been able to do with that thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've had such a huge breakthrough with the piston weapon system. It's just phenomenal. But looking at the 3.6% difference, right, there's nothing earth-shattering there, guys. It's, it's minuscule. Yeah. Um, they're both 1MOA-capable weapons. So with the proper ammo, and yes, you can achieve it, folks, they will shoot one inch at 100 yards. 
which basically correlates with their ballistic coefficient that they're good to go out to about 300 meters um, as far as effective range. Now that I will highlight a little asterisk that's against exposed targets once again. Um, there have been several dudes who I know who have engaged targets uh, out past 150 with some shorter barrel AR setups, um, mainly in Iraq, in which case they dumped a dude and he stood back up and just walked off. He didn't have armor on. (laughs) (laughs) He just happened to be behind a car door. Uh, And Iraqi car doors is probably a 1980s, early 90s Toyota. Uh, Not exactly (laughs) robust, but it was just enough to slow that round down and really subtract off of that core velocity of the actual round, leaving that short barrel to the point where a dude was able to make it home that night, which really sucks. You know, it, it sucks because you put that person through a bunch of pain. It's not the humane way to uh, take them out of the, <laughs> out of the earth. Um, and it just gives them that opportunity to fight another day and potentially kill your ass. Absolutely. So keep that in mind, guys. We're not saying these are the be all end all. So if you're fixing to go out there and drop just over two grand on the uh, Mark 18 and damn closer to three grand for the MCX right now <laughs> with current prices, Oof. you know, on one of these sexy beasts, you got to understand that they're not ballistically wise choices. If you're seeking a do it all recce rifle setup, if you are stick to that 14, five to 16 inch barrel, if that's your goal, it's going to do it all short enough to maneuver in around buildings. You can still attach a, a suppressor or muzzle device to it without it becoming, you know, as long as Pinocchio's nose, <laughs> you're good to go. So just keep that one in mind. As much as I love my MCX and I love Irish's Mark 18, I do acknowledge that there are limitations associated with them ballistically. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, when you, Talk about rear world, uh, rear world, real world stuff. Jeezy boomer. You know, it becomes a bit of an issue when you're talking about attaching muzzle devices to these platforms because that rules out 14.5 inch altogether. Because a oh, lot yeah. of guys are running yeah. 14.5 inch rifles. They do not attack stamps. Yeah, 14.5. I will make. <laughs> Yeah, I will end someone if they attack snap a 14.5. It's it's been done, bro. It's been done. Uh, Because 14.5s, traditionally, if you're not going to tack stamp them, the muscle device is pinned and welded. Therefore, it is permanently attached attached to the barrel, creating an overall length of the barrel to meet that uh, 16-inch criteria set by the overlords that are the ATF. yeah, so get yourself that Surefire War Comp, drop some Ooh. coin on it, pin and weld it, and you're good. You don't need oh anything else. Oh, my God. <laughs> pin you and don't weld need War Comp, my guy. <laughs> it's been done. You're good oh, to go, man. It's been you're done, my go. guy. That's what I'm talking about right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, right now, I'm my quote-unquote truck gun. Uh, some people might hate that idea. Some people might love it. Um, I, can, I can assure all the people that hate it, it is secured <laughs> properly and, you know, whatever. But yeah. it's a it's a seven and a half inch three hundred blackout. 
And I know for a fact, I'm not going to be engaging targets at 300. I know for a fact that that's not what this is built for. Yeah. This is purely an intermediary range weapon, but with the ballistics that you bring up with that MCX, that is a tempting choice because it can hit 100 reliably and it can do an area target out to 300. I don't know. I might have to be making the switch. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, um, if you in a current say scenario in America in which you have to defend your family or somebody else, if you got to close uh, a gap with an enemy over 300 meters, then you need to just run your ass over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's not, that's just not a good position to be in. Uh, it just, it's not practical at all. It doesn't make sense. No. Right. If, if, yeah. If, if I'm just engaging a homeland target at 300 meters and it goes to court, I'm really going to have to prove how they were a direct threat to my life 300 meters away. So Yeah, you were federally effed at that point, potentially, yeah. right? Depending on the circumstances, it's just, it's ugly. So just once again, guys, we're keeping it real. We're putting it in perspective for you. We're not, we're not hating on you. Just saying. No, no, no. Think hate. about it. So with that being said, looking at the close-up game even further, I've got another comparison for you. Ooh. Yeah. So, something I was curious about, uh, because I do have a Glock 17 that I love. However, with Irish making the move out to California to be with his beloved, which is an admirable choice, I might add. I'm super pumped for him. I think it's great. It's a temporary thing. Um, But basically, due to the circumstances of that move, and the fact that California is a communist nation, um, <laughs> he is selling me his CZ Scorpion Evo 3 pistol, which got me thinking. I was like, man, what, what's the real difference between a Glock 17 and a Scorpion? Obviously, right? There's some neck beard just rolled his eyes to the back of his head. You've got the Glock 17 is a conventional handgun. The CZ Scorpion is more of an SMG variant with a... Pistol brace that you can shoulder and a forearm that I can grip and obviously a longer barrel than the Glock 17. But looking at the numbers, the CZ's barrel clocks in about 7.71 inches, which is quite a bit more than the Glock pistol clocking in at 4.5. Basically, that means that the Glock barrel is only 58% as long as the Scorpion. That's That's quite a bit of difference. So when you go ahead and overlay that by looking at the run of the mill federal nine mil Luger at 115 grain, Mm -hmm. very commonly found nine mil round. Oh, not so much nowadays, but yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's, that's fair. Uh, only $4 around at your local pawn shop. (laughs) Glock is expected to expel that round around 1100 feet per second. The longer Scorpion spits it out at 1360. Damn. So that's a delta 255 feet per second, which is pretty huge considering we're only in the grand range. Yeah. That's a lot. That's quite a bit. And considering the fact that the first time I ever fired my Glock 17, I literally took that thing out of the box, went zero holdover at a 75 meter man-sized plate, and dinked it. <laughs> and Irish was there for that. Damn. Zero holdover. 
So think about the speed at which that round is traveling. Pretty freaking quick, dude. Out of a Glock. So take that. Contrast that with a barrel almost twice as long mm-hmm. out of the CZ. And with that additional 255 feet per second, dude, the Scorpion is a kick-ass gun. That thing is lethal. Yeah. It's, yeah, that, it's that becomes a impressive. platform right there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things like we all we all think that, right? We all understand that. We all know it. But not many people can quantify it. And that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, for sure. It definitely becomes a lot more real when you think about it that way. Yeah, it does. And, you know, well, you, you said something, okay? I said something, yes. You, you made the mention of grain. Yeah, you know, I, I, I used in, in, in bread that uh, no, not that AOC grain, not says that the people are just out there getting in the streets, just getting <laughs> that bread. Getting that bread. <laughs> no, so 115 grain. Can we talk about this for a second? Because yeah. well, we, no, we are going to yeah. talk about this for yeah. a second. Yeah, we are. So this uh, this might come as news to some of you, and if it does, thank you for being here for this learning moment. Yes, thank you. I have seen so much boomer fud logic that is just useless. Where people are like, "Yeah, you know, I only shoot." 150 grain out of this. Yeah. Pissing hot bubble load. It's like, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> no. Bubble load. Dude, the pissing hot bubble load. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's um it's it's bad, dude. Grains, when you when you measure grain, right? 115 grain. Let's talk nine mil. 115 grain, 124 grain, yeah. 147 grain. I'd say those are the most prominent three. I'd agree. Yes, there's lighter. Yes, there's heavier. Yes, there's more in the middle. But when you're speaking of grain, when it comes to bullets, you're talking about the weight of the projectile. You're not talking about how much powder is in it. Because I see people going, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's got a. You know, 160 grain, 4570, or you know, whatever crazy round they're talking about that's going to blow your shoulder off or rip that desert eagle out of your hand. Grain has to do with bullet weight. Now, yes, you also measure powder in grains. I'm not saying that, but no one goes, yeah, this is a 5.8 grain. Everyone's going to look at you sideways, but you know, anywhere from. I, I've seen it as low as 3.6, and I've seen it as high, or I personally shot it as high as 6 grain for 9 millimeter rounds <laughs> when it comes to powder load, right? Yeah. So one grain is one, let me remember this correctly, it's one seven thousandth of a pound. Yes, one, one grain yeah. is one seven thousandth of a pound, so it's... Uh, Beep, boop, 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 boop. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing quick math and it's not working. Uh, four hundred and yeah, so yeah, there's four hundred thirty seven point five grains per ounce, right? Oh. So that that's what we're talking about. All these all these rounds are fractions of an ounce. Yeah, they are the projectile that we're talking about, not not the powder load. So I I just wanted to dispel that real quick. I need to 
Nice. Get that off my chest because it's been bugging me for a long time. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair, dude. That's a really good point. What's interesting is the Army is actually in the middle of having uh, this same discussion or a very similar discussion right now. Um, actually, I think they started having this discussion a couple of years ago, but uh, the Army has been doing a lot of, of heavy lifting to completely overhaul like a lot of traditional things that have been grandfathered in, uh, so to speak, uh, for, for quite some time, um, all in an effort to build a more lethal fighting force that can go toe-to-toe with another conventional military um, outside of a, a coin environment. Um, they're overhauling their age-old PT test. They're implementing a new standard rifle qual. And they're also, um, they've been getting a few major contractors to field new prototype weapons um, with the goal of replacing the M4 and the M249. Um, and ballistics has been one of the main driving factors um, that's been pushing this project forward. Um, and it's kind of like the one major, in my mind, it's kind of like the one major piece or the one major requirement that the Army has for each of these contractors in the running is you know they're asking them to you know build build us a new weapon um that no longer uses or fires the age-old 556 round and they're looking for a new platform that fires a a 6.8 uh round um you know i don't know what effect if any that this is going to have for like other 762 platforms like the 240 but my Intuition kind of tells me that the desire is going to be moving in the direction of developing, you know, a one size fits all cartridge, um, you know, and, and why not really? You know, and I, I've seen some of uh, this work being done with platforms, future platforms to run caseless ammo, like the HKG 11, or if not caseless, then I know work's been done to make polymer cases in hopes of shedding a good deal of weight in uh excess ammo is this moving in that direction or do you know if it's going to be more traditional brass case stuff so one of the things i know that they're actively exploring and and doing feasibility studies on is uh um so yeah getting getting rid of brass case ammo um that we're so very accustomed to and looking at polymer or plastic cased ammo um so that is something that they are actively kind of doing validation studies on uh, just to see, does it, does it hold up? Um, you know, and, and along with the rifle, does it meet all of the, the stringent requirements, um, you know, that are, that it's going to need to. Um, yeah. It's interesting that the caseless ammo uh, was a really cool, um, it was a really cool thing that HK kind of came up with. And, you know, sometimes when it comes to, like, these big weapon overhaul projects, you know, I wonder how much of it is, um, you know, just them trying to come up with something to stay relevant and kind of stay in the eyes of the media and kind of garner shareholder interest in their companies. Um, I believe that HK actually had a a legitimate military contract to produce that case of ammo, but it was just it was just a logistical nightmare with. Um, you know, it, it, 
held water and concept, but, uh, you know, then you try to actually employ it and they had round, they had the, uh, stability issues with the actual charges and, and how do you carry this stuff? And, you know, it, it became kind of just a nightmare to actually try to implement in the field in those environmental conditions. Um, you know, we've really reached the pinnacle of development in the shooting sports world where ammunition manufacturers can mate and match perfectly different bullet designs, weights, case dimensions, and, and powder charges to meet nearly any criteria of lethality desired. You know, 80 years ago at the onset of World War II, case smokeless ammunition had only been around for like 50 years or so. Um, you know, I, I think like the eight millimeter label was the first like traditional brass cased all in one cartridge adopted by a military. Um, and that wasn't until 1886. And so now we're at the point where recreational shooting is bigger than ever. There's a lot of big ammunition manufacturers that treat, you know, their, their product as, as a science. I mean, there's a lot of science that goes into the production of, of new and, uh, inventive calibers and we have nearly 140 years of data and continuous improvement efforts that we can use to create nearly any effect we want um you know we just when it comes to like um military calibers uh for instance you know we know that bigger isn't always better um we know the trade-offs that come with higher recoiling rounds and accuracy and then in follow-up shot placement uh, we know now what is actually needed to penetrate body armor, both hard and soft. Um, we know that bullets in and of themselves can be curtailed and engineered to give varying effects. Uh, the list goes on and on. Um, you know, it'll it'll be very interesting to see how all this continues to evolve, and uh, especially with respect to uh, the Army's fielding of this of this new rifle and what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you bring up a lot of really good points, man, because everything that people just kind of disregard really does come into play in the real world. Like looking at recoil management, you know, it's just such a simple concept that will get you killed if you don't master it. It's one of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone thinks that they could walk around like Rambo and, you know, just laser off shots, but placement of follow-up shots is absolutely massive. Being able to stay on target time and time again, it, it can't be beat. Thank you again for that wonderful recap. I mean, it's just, it, it's crazy to think when you look back at the last century, like how much progress we've made and then you realize that the majority of that progress was only made in the last like 10, 15 years, right? Like we were, yeah. we were stagnant, which is interesting because fundamentally, right? If you look at history um, between World War II and we'll say the war on terrorism, GWAT, <laughs> obviously you had Vietnam, you had Korea, you had a lot of skirmishes in between. And I'd say some development came out of Vietnam, especially the development of the AR platform. Oh, uh, yeah. By Eugene Stoner. And radar. Well, radar was also in uh, Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, there was a the massive boom of, of, yeah. Yeah. Like the use of, you know, sustained combat aviation assets, all that kind of stuff. 
big deal. But looking at small arms, there really wasn't much going on. Like, at all. You know, the R700 was still one of the peak sniper rifle platforms in use by the Army and the Marine Corps for the longest time. Like, so... I guess we, we've just experienced this really compressed amount of growth as a result of GWAT in the last 20 years, especially in the firearms industry. You've got a lot of veterans, especially special operations uh, experienced veterans who are getting out. They're coming into the civilian world, and they just have a lot of really cool practical knowledge that they're sharing with the world. And I think that's progressing us a lot as a community. Absolutely. And if I can interject with one point, yeah, sure, sure. I think the, you know, the, the lift on the assault weapons ban of 1994, I think that also kind of paved the way. Ah, good point. Because good point. we saw recreational shooters being able to, you know, enjoy firearms that were once outlawed or loopholed to an insane amount. I mean, uh, the amount of, loopholes that were jumped through to create AR pistols back in the day are nothing compared to what we see in California today. But um, yeah, I think the mixture of those two things, having practical large scale war and also a homeland that's able to freely purchase firearms that were once, you know, I don't want to say outlawed, but, uh, tougher to get yeah, has really paved the way for all these companies to rise up. And I don't, I don't just mean, you know, your, your local veteran, small owned or uh, veteran owned small business near you that creates, you know, five Kydex holsters every other week. I mean, like really massive companies that are owned by people who have the practical knowledge that Midas was just talking about coming out there and being like, no, 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 wait, hold on. There's a better way to do this. And yeah, there yeah, it is. Exactly. Like these are fantastic products that are being made. Yeah, definitely. And there, there's a lot of them out there, but correspondingly, and it always follows the good. There's, there's some bad out there, right? There's, oh, yeah. there's some folks out there who are just producing some really off the wall stuff or, or some things that really look cosmetically cool mm. and they, they look the part and they, you know, they, they talk the talk, but at the end of the day, they don't have the actual um, capability to walk the walk due to materials used or anything like that. So you just, just be wary of the cheap, option sometimes right expensive is not always better Uh, and because of that we're actually as a result of uh one of our listeners over the next couple episodes we're going to do a pretty cool one i'm excited about i wanted to field you guys and fundamentally what we're going to do is we're going to do a top gear style i'm talking like old top gear like british british top gear jeremy clarkson james may richard hammond you know what i'm saying like the good stuff in which we're all going to give each member of the team a thousand monopoly dollars and tell them to go ahead and build out their rifle platform. Yeah. And we're uh, doing utilizing a thousand dollars. 
I don't know about you, but I'm down to do this in like COVID times. I'm down to do this like now. Price it out as best we can. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like exactly. Like over the course of the week that we do uh, recording prep, that's what we'll do. So it's gonna be lit. It's gonna be lit, fam. As uh, Brony likes to ironically say to idiots. <laughs> um, but. So we are looking at that uh, as an option to kind of give you guys some more budget-friendly uh, tips for those of you who aren't going to drop three grand on an MCX, which we totally understand. I totally oh, get yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have bought it except I had an exceptional discount at that time. Uh, but looking over the course of our episodes, guys, we're on episode 10. That's, that's just crazy. Um, we started this on a whim, you know, we don't really have like a huge Instagram following, but we had some really dedicated support from really good folks. Uh, everyone from mission first tactical to just, you know, run of the mill, normal guys who really enjoyed chatting with us. And it was just, it was really humbling. You know, we, we absolutely love it. We love spending time sitting down and talking with you guys and it's been really fun. And you know, it's just an excellent way for us to go ahead and, and make the world a safer place by hopefully spreading some sort of knowledge or some sort of awareness that's going to really allow us to operate through you guys, which is fantastic. Um, we're actually nearing 500 listens out of our 10 episodes. We're very close. Well, that wasn't even counting 10. That was our first nine, really, uh, which is just awesome. Like, we're so pumped and amped about that. And, uh, you know, it's caused us to go back and recap some of our episodes, including episode one, which was like the ripple effects of COVID. Um, and really looking at how much COVID has expanded and how it's basically operated on a bell curve. It's really been interesting because at one time it was just absolutely dictating every aspect of our lives. Uh, and now it's just kind of people are getting sick of it. And now it's it's clearly getting tied to political goals. And I think people are just really get, getting more and more disenchanted with it. But at the same time, the, the lessons are still there. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. And then they were compounded, I would say, in the perfect storm of high unemployment levels. Um, a lot of people just kind of generally frustrated with an awful lot of media exploitation about some uh, different officer involved shootings and other things that have really, and I would, I would say a hundred percent deliberately stirred the pot uh, yeah. in America. And it's just, once again, we're, we're just like throttling down this, this path of, the abandonment of common sense and a lot of our values as Americans and as people. And uh, I, I'm going to tell you straight up, like coming from people who have been down range and we've experienced loss and uh, on a number of different levels and just a lot of, uh, a lot of sacrifice for, this country and its sheer ideals. Uh, it's super disheartening and we totally understand that. And for some of you guys who are of the veteran population or law enforcement, we totally get it. We understand and just, you know, quick message to you guys, just keep being the best people you can be. Treat everybody as individuals and uh, just, 
you know, don't don't treat people differently because of their skin tone, regardless of how much it's getting played up in the media. It's 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 not as prevalent. No, it's not what they want to make it to be. No, it's just not. Just be good people. As long as we all love each other, come together. Yeah, help out your fellow man and woman, you know, be reasonable and just just have each other's backs because, you know, there, there's a lot of people out there and, and I'll, I'm going to dedicate this actual podcast um, to Sergeant First Class Jeremy Griffin who passed um, during an operation that, that we had kind of laid out um, just this past year. On uh, September 16th of 2019, you know, brilliant Americans like him do not lay down their lives so that people can go out in the streets and do whatever the fuck they want. That's not the liberty that he was fighting for. The liberty that Jeremy and the countless others have laid their lives down for is for the average American to enjoy peace and tranquility as they go about their daily lives. And that's important, guys. And you can't put a price on that. No. You just can't. I know we just got real, real quick. (laughs) But that's what this world is. It's real. It's not what you want it to be. It is what it is. So keep that one in mind. Uh, As we move forward, just to give you guys a quick um, summary of what we're looking at on our horizon. October is probably going to be... hunting and fishing month we're gonna change things up a little bit you know it's gonna be deer season i've heard all about this fall bite that's coming man the bass and the pike go nutty they just want to fucking eat everything before it gets cold i'm super pumped i got some new crankbaits i want to get out there and cast out iris is super pumped to go drop some deer he does every year uh we're gonna break out some of that stuff to you guys in different forms and fashion and uh, depending on whether or not old Joe Rogan gets to host his podcast debate oh. of presidential candidate Joseph Biden, assuming his name's Joseph, I don't fucking know, <laughs> and uh, current president Donald Trump, we are definitely going to drop into the political spectrum on that one. We, we're just going to oh, give you guys some, some reactions. Yeah, um, it's going to be entertaining. We're going to provide our, our same old truthful, no BS mindset. <laughs> and uh, we're going to cut through the smoke. And uh, I'm really hoping that does happen. I, I certainly do. I think it's just going to be really uh, enlightening across the board. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens, guys. We're, we're strapped in on this wild ride right next to you. So appreciate you guys taking the time to sit down. Or stand up if you're running on a treadmill or whatever strange things you might be doing while you're listening to us. (laughs) Really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. It's awesome. We love your guys' support. Uh, If you could favorite us, hit us up on Instagram at path underscore five. Do any of those things. Let us know how we're doing. Absolutely. You know, and if if you're looking to trick out that new AR, Make sure you hit up Mission First Tactical. They make fantastic products at what what I what I see to be a very good price. And yeah, if you go there, price. use Path Five on the code on the checkout. Uppercase P, uppercase F, all one word. Path Five. You guys got that. 
Yep. That'll net you 20% off. Excellent products with some really cool people. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of B-holes in this industry and, uh, they are not one of them. So <laughs> check, over there, check them out. Oh, what's, what's your turn, bro? Neil? what you got? No, no, no I, we, we can't put this on here. We'll get the explicit tag again. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah. All right. That, that's fair. <laughs> In the words of Steve Brule, do, oh, sorry, Dr. Steve Brule, bunch of dringuses. <laughs> bunch of dringuses. Bunch of dringuses. Anyhow, you guys aren't because you're here listening to us. So thank you so much again. Have a great night or day, afternoon, whatever. Get out there. Be good to your fellow man or woman. Exemplify our values. And just get on ready. It's going to be a wild ride. Peace. <laughs>